What's up guys, welcome back to the Purposeful Podcast. We're so excited to have you all back. Um, We are in episode three now. Uh, I'm super excited for today's topic. Uh, Barrett brought this one to the table and it's uh, going to be a good one. So uh, yeah, we're back. We had to take a little bit of a break. I mean, it won't be a break for you guys, but we had to transition back to school. Senior year for both of us. So uh, Barrett, how was the transition back? Man, it was was really easy actually. Um, I'm I, I like school, and I don't think a lot of people would agree with me on that, but I, I like sitting in environments where I'm learning and getting new information and being more, uh, becoming more valuable to the the industry and to, to what I want to do. So it was actually, you know, really easy transition. And of course, all my friends here in, in College Station, I got to meet up with them and see them and uh, just, that was, that was awesome being able to 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 meet with my people yeah that is awesome that sounds great it was a a good transition for me too this is my last semester I know Barry you've got this is your second to last but um yeah it's my last semester um at uh, school at Moody Bible Institute up in Chicago for those of us uh or those of you guys listening that may not know that about me um so I'm transitioning uh back to Texas when I'm when I'm finished here so I'm excited to be done but also this has been such a sweet semester so far Um, just to connect with the community that I've had here and that the Lord has built and cultivated here in my life and then also I've got a bunch of big projects that I've been working on um, like a capstone and senior recital and a bunch of creative big creative projects that I've got lined up that require a lot of work but have been really good so far i'm really excited for what's to come this semester so it's exciting um i i didn't tell you this before we started but uh i want to i want you just like from last week what did what did we talk about and just like in a just a very overview uh way yeah so last week we talked about the importance of knowing god um and we made the distinction that it's not knowing God is not just a knowledge of God that we think of like an intellectual knowledge, but knowing actually meaning this intimate, vulnerable, relational knowledge of like truly knowing the character of someone, knowing their tendencies, knowing the ins and outs of who they are and what makes them them. So in any relationship, knowing somebody creates connection, nearness, uh, unity. And so knowing God is that most fundamental connection where all the other connections with all of our other relationships stem from. So it was a really great time. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to that one first and then come back here. Yeah. So in this episode, we're, we're kind of building on that. Uh, why is it important to know God with, well, what, what does it look like to, to actually know God and, and some of those uh, belief systems that have troubled uh, a lot of the thought process behind who God is. And so we'll, we'll be going down a list of, of things that just like are modern things that I think Americans typically fall into. There, This is not, of course, an extensive list, but it's just, you know, um, just a brief overview of a lot of things that have affected uh, our day and age. Uh, before that, uh, I'd like to just say something that is, you know, kind of on my mind recently, uh, with, with the importance of knowing God, right? 
So uh, there's scripture uh, and in Jesus, uh, when they, uh, there's Pharisees who ask Jesus, like, what is the most important law, right? And their response, uh, Jesus' response to that was to love the Lord your God with all your, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And so Jesus is illustrating a holistic overview of, of a person to know, to know and follow after God, right? That's the most important thing. And that requires all of us, you know, our, our minds, our bodies, our, our souls, our strength. It's not one or those, it's not one or the other. And you'll see that as we, as we talk about this, this episode that it, it, Typically, it's like one of those things gets overemphasized or gets mm-hmm. uh, just capitalized or or all mm-hmm. of them get undermined. And right. uh, and it's not and it's not holding true to that. So uh, we are going to go ahead and get started. So Landry, what what is what is what are we talking about today? Yeah, today we're touching on false narratives. And so to your point, when we're kind of following in this um, in this journey of knowing God, of increasing our knowledge and affection of Him in a relational dynamic. Um, it's important to know God's character, what is of Him and what is not of Him. Uh, because if our chief end of man, as you know, they talked about in early church history and the Protestant Reformation and everything uh, in the Westminster Catechism, which was just a gathering of Protestant believers, uh, mostly in the Calvinistic vein, but we don't have to dive into that. The point is they got together and they established the chief end of man is to know God uh, and, and enjoy him forever, to know God and to love him forever. So as we're uh, attempting to do that better, we have to address very present realities, very present kind of um, epistemologies, which epistemologies is a word that just means the way that we know what we know. So these are ideologies, these are ways of thinking, these are philosophies, I guess you could say, uh, around the world today that we engage with that are not from God. So we have to address what these things are that are not from God. And then in light of that, we have to identify, okay, what is from God? So first we're going to go through these false narratives that you see in the world all around you on a daily basis without even realizing it maybe. Um, You'll walk around, you'll talk to people, you'll jump on social media or watch a movie, listen to music even, and you're gonna get some of these false narratives all the time. And so we're gonna identify these first and then we're gonna figure out, okay, what is the true narrative? What is the biblical narrative? What is God's narrative? So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and uh, just to kind of tie into that, it's like we, we, humans, humans are, are narratival creatures. So like we follow, we like stories. We like to, to be a part of something. And that's why, you know, one of the greatest fear fears of mankind is to be purposeless, to, to, to have no purpose, to have no story. And so today we're, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about the, the narrative of God and his story. And it's not, it's not just a historical like events have happened, but actually um, we get to step into the story as well. Uh, we get to step into the script, uh, you, you could say, of scripture. Um, and we're, that's just how God, has, how God has designed his story for us to, to be a part of it. Uh, because of his grace and because of his mercy. Uh, and so 
um, we're going to talk about uh, or stories that serve to either uh, they're going to either be orienting us to 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 reality, which is reality is you know what God says is reality, and then. And then we have stories that serve to disorient us from reality. And those are stories that uh, are usually rooted in sin or false beliefs or doctrines of uh, false doctrines. So um, we're going to go through a list of just disorienting stories that, uh, that we live in today. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, get started if, unless you have something else to say. To Yeah, no, to start that. us out. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, I, me and Landry have a list and we're just going to go down the list and I, I hope that uh, you could take away something from this. And so the first one is romanticism. So Landry, what is romanticism? Well, uh, romanticism was a, an artistic movement in like the 18th century in Europe. Uh, and it, it kind of, falls in the same vein as the renaissance so i'm i'm sure everyone's heard of the renaissance but it's this like artistic intellectual movement driven kind of by philosophy that originated in europe uh towards the end of the 18th century like i said um and so it was this like ushering forth as arts and literature as paramount in culture so it was emphasizing inspiration subjectivity um primacy of the individual so this is a lot of where we get individualism which we'll talk about later but so many other things stem from romanticism in our current day and age that kind of are influenced by this like state or quality of being driven by emotion driven by beauty perfectionism which is another one that we'll actually talk about later too and like this idea of 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 romantic romantic experience of life so everything has to be like over romanticized in a sense yeah and so and so romanticism would would emphasize that emotions and how you feel it that's the truth uh and so when we when we view um, a romanticism in, in terms of in terms of you know the gospel it's like uh yes there's an aspect of feeling something and uh, aspect of having emotions but it's not the basis for for everything because the the truth is it's through faith um, and so that's that's the that's the overview of romanticism and uh, you tied it really well together they have these arts and you know these these diagrams of things that just have an emotional connection and that's that's where we see a lot of the individuality as you said uh, comes out and so uh, to kind of go to that point um, of individualism uh what do we like what do we how would we uh, you know how do we interfere that how would we point someone back to truth yeah and and one important part i want to make off the bat with all of these is like so many of these kind of narratives or epistemologies that people are using in culture or, or or are subconsciously influenced by uh maybe fundamentally in themselves have no problem like there's nothing inherently wrong with the romanticism movement or that era just like there was nothing wrong with the renaissance or any of the enlightenments like these are significant parts of human history where we've gained so much um, development so much influence so many beneficial things but um, 
what we're doing is we're identifying where these have kind of set, uh, uh, seeped into our ways of thinking subconsciously that affect us and draw us away from God's narrative. So I just wanted to make that clarification off the bat. I didn't want it to come across as like we were <laughs> just bashing all of these um, all of these ways of thinking or mindsets, um, but we're just identifying where they pull us away from scripture. So with romanticism, um, I think the, the key part that we're trying to identify here is, uh, and the website Britannica uh, kind of words it really well, that romanticism can be seen as the rejection of the precepts of order, calm, harmony, balance, idealization, and rationality and some other things they continue on but that's the point in saying that you're kind of driven by emotion and scripture even tells us um, that our emotions can't always be trusted God gave us emotions to to experience him but we should be pursuers of wisdom and of knowledge and so the way to get back to it to answer your question Barrett the way to get back to God's narrative from romanticism is to pursue wisdom. Uh, Solomon prayed to God and asked God for wisdom when he could have asked God for anything he has for wisdom. And so our goal is to rein our emotions in, to rein in uh, our, our flesh and to surrender that to the Lord and ask him for clarity, ask him for wisdom, ask that the Holy Spirit would come and provide clarity, provide wisdom and righteousness as he sanctifies us more and more yeah so um how would how would you see this play out in in a modern day example like what are you thinking um i think a modern day example is the subjectification of truth or the relativization of truth uh, whichever word you want to use for that it's how does the, that play out sorry yeah yeah so the way that it plays out is the truth is my truth and we'll probably touch on this through a lot of these narratives but when your world or when culture is governed by emotions it's governed by the rejection of order and calm and an absolute objective truth then everything becomes relative. Everything becomes, well, if I feel this way or I experience the world this way, then this is true. And it may not be true for you, but that's okay. But it's true for me. So I'm going to live out this experience of the world that I'm in as absolute truth. And so then that causes all of these, you know, whatever narrative other narrative like political narrative or agenda or kind of side of the coin you want to ascribe to or back or support you're going to automatically divide yourself and pit yourself against kind of a a unity with culture and with people around you because you're you're saying, hey, this is how I feel, and I'm so convicted by these emotions and by my experience of the world that I'm going to oppose you because you disagree with my feelings or my experience. And so it causes disunity, it causes uh, conflict, it causes 
uprising. And I think that romanticism is intricately, uh, kind of embedded in culture today with the way that people are operating. So if you think of anything from like political, um, agendas, political pursuits and protests and stuff, not saying that all protesting is influenced by this, but you just see with all the, the division religiously, politically, and all this stuff, everybody is less driven by truth as absolute and more driven by truth as what I feel. Yeah, that's true. I, I would, I'm going to, I'm going to give a biblical example of like how this plays out in the church, because I think that would be beneficial. Uh, so uh, I always think of the, like when people are reading Exodus 34, right? There's the first half. It's like, okay, it's like, okay, God's going to, he's going to restore me. He's this joyful God and I'm going to be so well. And then they just don't read the second half. It's like, okay, but if I sin, uh, then God's going to be wrathful from, for three generations. Right. We, we don't, we don't, we tend to, we tend to just focus on one example of, uh, like what we want to hear. Um, because that, that sounds good. Uh, I'm, I'm forming God as an emotion, not as a, as who he is and what he says he is, you know? So we have to be very careful to, to, to contextualize, uh, contextualize the, the, the verses and, you know, put, put everything into its correct context and to not get distracted necessarily by our emotions. Not saying that our emotions can't show us more of who God is, but that we have to be, be careful. Um, as, as, my, as, my, as my mother would say, she said, Emotion, emotions are true, they're just not reliable. Uh, Mm-hmm. And so that's that's so true when we when we're reading and we're trying to understand stuff and when we experience God, you know, because I think we do experience God in emotional in some some level emotional, um, because again holistic, we we experience God in an emotional level. Okay, uh, I want to move on to the next one. Uh, so the next one is consumerism. Uh, I, I'll start here. So consumerism is the, what you have is the truth. And so this, this is played out in a lot of different ways. It's like, okay, I have, I have a family. I have, I have all this stuff. I have this and that. And you can see it in a lot of different ways. And um, I think a good example of, you know, countering that is Job. Because Job had a lot, but then God took it all away. Uh and all he was left with was his faith. And that's, that's the only thing that stood uh, in, in that time period uh, until God restored it because of his grace and mercy, not because uh, Job necessarily deserved it, but because God extended grace and mercy to Job for his faithfulness. So um, what, do you, what do you have to say on consumerism? Man, I have so much to say on consumerism um, because I think that this is actually one of the more blatant narratives. Yeah. That's just like right in everyone's face. Yet there, it just feels like there's so much kind of tolerance, especially mm. in the in the body of believers. Christ followers, I feel like tolerate and buy in to consumerism so much and I will be the first to say this but guys like here's a definition uh, 
right here that I just pulled up from Investopedia. Consumerism is an economic and social system that encourages the consumption of goods and services as a means of attaining well-being. So this is the, hey, if you just have this, you'll be happy. Yeah. If you just have, it, it's that eternal race and strife and pursuit of of happiness. Oh, it's that American dream. The, if I just have this, I'll be good. If I just have that next thing, whatever it is, if I can just get out of school, if I, yeah, if I can get out of school, if I can get this job, if I can get this girlfriend salary, or boyfriend, if I could just yeah. get married, if I can just make this much, yeah, this X dollar amount, if I can just have this car, if I can just, and it's endless. And we all have felt this. We all have experienced this. Every single one of you guys listening, I guarantee you can think of this playing out in your own life, the way that you've bought into the lie of consumerism. Like, I just want to be happy. Yeah. I just want to feel content. And I've seen this in the, in, in a, in a, I would say in an area that has plenty of healthy churches, it's like, you'll see people move from one church to the next because they're not getting what they want from it. Uh, and it's just like they're consuming church. They're not participating. And then they're expecting that there's, there's supposed to be this spiritual, like, you know, spiritual connection with God when they're just, they're just consuming and not giving. Whereas, you know, faith in, in Jesus is actually supposed to be sacrificial. You know, it mm-hmm. says to take up your cross and follow me. It's not, uh, just sit there and I'll give you everything you need, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's this part of it. It's like, okay, you're in the story. You're to participate. You're not just here to sit and listen to a sermon and go about your day. And I think another thing is like, there's this idea that it's like, okay, if I go to church on Sunday and I sit, you know, sit for an hour and a half in the service, I do some songs and listen to the sermon and take communion and then I go about my day. But I'm not, I'm not actively giving my time or my efforts to, to, to follow after God, uh, that you're actually, I would argue that you're just not living a faithful life or not a Christian, um, in those two, in those two ways. And that it's more of a cultural thing to participate rather than, uh, you're actually following after Christ. Right. Right. Exactly. And so I'm so glad that you mentioned the church aspect because, we all buy into this narrative in our daily life, just engaging in the world around us with social media, with even restaurants, like where we're going to eat. We are so saturated with information, with accessibility to any type of food, any type of movie, any type of whatever, with like the click of a button or with you know, everything being instantaneous. So we buy into it with culture, but I'm so glad you brought up the church too, because honestly, this is the biggest can of worms that I've been carrying with me, honestly, since I've been in college. When I came into Moody as a freshman, it was kind of one of the things that we spent so much time with our professors talking about the most was the attractional model of the church. And so it's exactly what you were just explaining, how in the church, the American church has evolved into this attractional model that is what can I get out of church instead of what can I put into the church Uh, Paul talks to the church and he says hey each one of you you need to be contributing your gifts for the edification of the body for the building up of the body so that there is no one in the body that is that has need so that everyone would be without need 
So you guys give, you, you participate, you contribute everything that you have so that everyone's needs are met. That's the design of the church. But our church in America, right now, even today, all around the country, is, has bought into this attractional model where you, you gotta come. Come be impressed, come watch, come spectate. The lattes and the cushioned seats, I talk about this all the time and I'm guilty of it, just like the next brother or sister. But we've got to open our eyes to this. And, and I think our generation, and by our generation I mean Gen Z, has really, um, I think the Lord is doing a work in our generation and I'm so excited about it. I really want to, to touch on our generation a lot more in the coming episodes, but there's something there with our generation where we are, we're not satisfied with the status quo. We're not satisfied with that pursuit of just being like the Joneses, being like the next person, having the next thing. So I think we're tired of the consumerism because we, we grew up in it. We were raised in it and we're starting to see now, Hey, this is a, this is a road that leads to death. And so I think in the church, our generation is becoming less attracted to that. But the problem is the response then is to leave the church. So there's a great de-churching happening in our country because that attractional model is no longer drawing people in because it was never supposed to. So what's important for us to address here is the church was not designed to consume, to entertain. You're not going to church, to a building to, to be impressed, to be entertained, to consume, to get something. You should be going to church, going to a community, not a building, to participate, to give, to serve, to meet the needs of the others there so that everyone is without need. You're not going to worship to watch a concert. You're going to worship to enter into the throne room of God and fall on your face before him, surrendering, confessing, repenting, being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the objective of the church. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that because consumerism has bled into the church and has completely contaminated the church, at least in America. And we need to work to reverse that. Yeah. So true. It's the end of my soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) I went on one too, so you're good. (laughs) Man, that that is, it's a big one. Yeah. Uh, For those who are like, man, maybe this is me. I, I would encourage you to to just like take some time and pray and ask God. It's like, am I am I am I going to this church because they they're preaching truth and worshiping God with their whole heart, or am I going there because I think I like their their colors and the the, the building's really nice and their coffee and exactly. the, the lobby is nice yep. and you yep. know they have a coffee uh, shop in the lobby, so I want to go there so I can get coffee. Yeah, so. I would I would encourage you to to look into to the why you're going to that church. Uh, for me, it's you know it's the people. It's the people who are pushing towards uh, the glory um, of Christ. That they're doing their own independent study and they're doing their own work and they're doing their own quiet time with God. They're pursuing after God, and we get to gather together and just worship together because of the work God is doing and not because of the consumeristic view that uh, our church offers, which is there. It is there because people are attracted to that kind of stuff. Um, Sure. And for me, like one of my big thing with consumerism in the the church that I confess is um, being picky with the, the pastors, the, the teaching pastors, the, 
preachers giving sermons up on stage every weekend. <clears throat> like I, I've found myself come to the place where I'm critical and I have high standards for the pastors. And so like, I've got like my favorite speakers. And if those guys or those, you know, people aren't speaking on that weekend, I, I like get an attitude. I start complaining and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to tune out because they're just not a gifted speaker. And that's, that's terrible because I'm going into this, this time of, of the Lord edifying his people, speaking to his people through the faithful work and ministry and, and preparation of these pastors. And the Lord has a word to say for each and every one of us, if we are sitting under the teaching and the guidance and the shepherding of any pastor who's on stage. Because who do we trust more? The person speaking or God himself that has risen that person up to that platform for a reason. And so I'll be the first to say I'm guilty of being picky with pastors. And I think that that's a huge element of consumerism in the church too that I'm sure some of you uh, listeners have experienced as well. Yeah, I would say that uh, I've fallen in that too. And that's why it's important to to know your have your own, you know, walk with God too. It's like, okay, I I might might not get everything from this person, but it's like I know that the spirit is working through that person. I know yeah. that they're teaching cuz they're they've been approved by usually church elders and usually uh, they've been approved their message uh, by 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 people who trust that God is working through that, and so there's there's a lot behind the scenes that happens, of course, in in a sermon prep and into to how people prepare. So it's also important to just like realize that God is working in that too, in, in yeah, and each how, of those people. And how hungry are we for truth? Yeah, are we are we so hungry that it it does not matter if you know, insert name of annoying person. I don't know, but it doesn't matter who's on stage. If we're so hungry for the living, active word of God to just invade our heart, then we're going to be on the edge of our seat no matter who's talking. And so that would be my challenge for all of us as we, as we come to church. Hey, are we, are we viewing the sermon as just something that can make me feel good something like a pastor that's really funny and can make me laugh or really entertaining or engaging that's about what I can get out of it instead what if we were to enter into the sermon with Lord what do you what do you want me to know what do you want me to learn what do you want me to change what do you want me to start doing that I haven't been what do you want me to stop doing that I have been like yeah teach me so we need that hunger so that it doesn't even matter who's on stage. We care about what the Lord is giving to us from that person, not whoever that person is. So, yeah. All right. I think that's, I think we really hammered consumerism. <laughs> I think we Absolutely. should uh, move on to the next one, which is rationalism. Yeah. And so this one, I, I think this one's actually very, very Influential in the modern church right now, and I would say, not necessarily in a good way. Uh, it's rationalism is what you believe is yeah. true, and so um, this this can be presented as a few things. It's like okay, I could have cultural identities and beliefs from culture. Um, I'm just gonna spout off a few, but uh, like 
what political party I, I align with, how I view sex and gender, how I am, uh, how I believe on different issues that are happening in my world, how I how I view money. Right? These are things that we come into uh, these beliefs or these you know ideas that we come into, and so when we apply our our, our cultural narrative to 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 the gospel, it's like. Well, we should be shaping and forming each one of these into into truth from the Bible, from Scripture, from from the Holy Spirit speaking to us, um, instead of what we think is true. And so, rationalism uh, will go go in this idea of like, man, it's it's whatever I believe is true. It's my truth. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is this is the this is the progressive of romanticism. So it's like okay, my emotions are the truth, right? And so then it involves into, okay, my emotions become my identity, so now whatever I believe in is now the truth. So um, what would you say on rationalism? Yeah, so the big thing with, and this is actually fun because I'm in apologetics right now. Um, It's one of the classes I'm taking, and rationalism is one of the philosophies that we're we're actually talking about reading about learning about right now in the class and so this is perfect timing but it is so on this spectrum if you can picture like a like a venn diagram of general revelation and special revelation rationalism sits on the general general revelation side of things and there's no overlap so essentially the only things that we can know are what we have access to physically speaking. So science is, is God essentially science is, is truth. And so we only can believe and trust what we, yeah, like what you said, like what we know rather than religious belief or emotional, um, response. It's kind of this intellectual, intellectually driven way of doing life. I guess it's theory that, Reason is the experience, experiential foundation and certainty in knowledge is what matters most. And so it's the practice of treating reason as the ultimate authority in religion. So like, it's kind of like a, maybe not agnostic, but like a naturalism almost. Yeah. The only thing that we can trust is what we know, what we can see. Yeah, I think a good example of this uh, in the Bible is the the Sadducees. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. They didn't believe in uh, you know rising from the dead. They didn't believe in miracles. They only believed in what they could see and experience. It was whatever was right in front of them and what God had written in His law. So uh, that's just a biblical example. I want to tie this into the church as well. Uh, so rationalism um it's like what what you believe is true so this uh this can come out in two different ways right so we have uh what i would call super like super duper you know it's like okay i know god's word i'm in god's word but it it comes out as a is a legalism so like i'm right i know what's true i'm and i'm i'm holding it so tight that I don't allow God to, to, to speak truth into me. And I don't show uh, the second half of that verse, you know, that I was quoting earlier to show love for others. Um, I'm not, right. I'm not, I'm not meeting people with, yes, I'm holding to truth, but I'm also, 
I'm holding it so so tight that my I'm actually zoomed in on truth um, that it's actually making me blind to it. Uh, and right. so, and that also gets in the idea. It's like okay, whatever I believe is true is uh, those those cultural identities become influential into the church, and that's why we see. Uh, more people are picking a church based off a political ideology rather than uh, what what Scripture says and what what they believe in in truth in into Scripture, uh, which is dangerous, very dangerous, because then you get people who are just you know uh, as it says in um, I'm blanking, but itching ears. They're just itching your ears uh, for what you want to hear, and they're talking about political ideas about what you want to hear. And what you believe in, right? And so that gets into the that danger area. It's like, okay, yes, this there might I might be true, and I might have a biblical backing from Scripture, but it, it, if it's not, you know, worked out through um, things, and then it could be wrong. And we go back to the, you know, it's like, okay, I'm basing my things off emotions and what I want, consumerism, you know. Um, yeah, that's that's what I have on rationalism. Yeah, in the church, we see rationalism as, I mean, essentially, yeah, like what you were saying, Sadducees and Pharisees, that's a good example because they're, <clears throat> they're placing their trust in what they know, okay? They've been given the law. That law has stood the test of time. It's been proven, right? It's, it's canonical. It's like, okay, this is our gospel. This is our truth. So much so that they were blinded to any of the mysteries of God. So those mysteries at their time being the prophecies of the coming Messiah from Isaiah. And so uh, they were blinded to the teachings and the works of Christ because they, they could only see and they only surrendered true to what they knew which was the law. So knowledge is based on experience and experimentation. So things that you can work with, they can work with the law, they can read the law, they can live out the law. And so that is, that's familiar, that's what they know, and so that's their truth. And so in in our class, when we're talking about um, the concept of rationalism with our professor, he mentioned to us that they do not, um, rationalism doesn't, acknowledge or approve any mysteries of God. Like we cannot know any mysteries or there aren't any mysteries. The only things that we can even know about God. And so this is talking about rationalism in the church. The only thing we can know or trust about God is what we have, what we can see, what is found in general revelation. There is no special revelation. There is no teaching and getting things from the Holy spirit. There is no, the Lord speaking to us, you know, in our spirit. It's just, what we have. So I guess a modern version of rationalism would be a modern version of the pharisaical like practice and law. Okay. All that we can know about God is what we have in the Bible. That's it. Yeah. There's no inspiration. There's no interpretation. There's, it's just what is, what is on the page. So it's very tangible, very, um, physical, right, right in front of front of us reason. And, and what could be dangerous about that is like if you have a teacher that's forming scripture to how they want you to hear it, that's where it can get really dangerous because then you're just hearing what they want you to hear rather than the holistic of what, what is God teaching in this thing. 
you know, and that's how you get that's how you get heretical things that happen, or that's how you get mistruth, partial truth, that's forming this doctrine or this idea. Um, so I also I wanted to go off that. It's like yeah, so the the opposite of rationalism, like to 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 get back to the gospel is to do two things. It's like okay, I believe I have faith. You know, it's like I have faith in the unknown that God is doing something that God is moving, right. that God is still speaking, that God is working through his spirit uh, in ways that I just cannot comprehend, but that I believe that he is revealing. Um, right. You're trusting in what you can't see. And in the same in the same breath, it's like, okay, I know scripture and I know this is truth. And I'm I'm leaning into the Holy Spirit to reveal that truth to me and not my own wisdom, not my own understanding, not my own knowledge, but I'm leaning into the truth that God reveals through His Spirit in Scripture. Okay. Uh, I want to move on to pragmatism. Uh, So pragmatism, it's whatever is working is the truth. Uh, Do you want to start on this one? Yeah, I can. Um, So, yeah, it's what's working. It's what's been proven. It's theories and um and experiments that um, require cognitive control um and so this is like it's it's a form of skepticism well it, it overlaps with skepticism and also rationalism but it takes it a step further in saying that um it, it, it's uh, it's wrong until proven right is essentially, I guess, the way you can think about it. And this one's a little bit more abstract for those of you who may not really have heard of it before. Um, theories and beliefs are only trusted when they're proven successful, I guess, and when they're applied in a useful way. So you could think of this even on in cultural terms as far as like okay, well, I'm not going to buy from this company until I know everything there is to know about them. I know that they've proven right. I'm going to read all the reviews. That's a very pragmatic way of going about it. It's practical. It's kind of cautious. And then with policies, I'm not going to vote for this. I mean, and as far as politically goes, it's important to know who your, your government is, to know who's in office and to be active in that. But it's this like ultimate or ultra skepticism that's fueled by logic that's kind of cynical over hyper realistic very matter of fact yeah that's the best way i know how to explain it yeah that's true um it's also this kind of this idea it's like okay we've always done it this way or yeah it's this tradition has to be this way well that that leaves you know the question it's like well what if what if that tradition's not right? What if that tradition's actually based off of, based off of a false practice of scripture, you know? And so, uh, if, if it is working and it's not, you know, from, from God, then I would question the whole activity. But in, in terms of like, you know, uh, the idea that it's like, okay, we're not, we're not going to change this. That's, that's actually us refusing to to conform to be more like Christ, and 
yes, there are things that don't need to change. And there are also things that do need to change and constantly are changing because we're erred humans. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to have errors. We're going to have flaws. We're going to have things that are just wrong with us. And we're going to have to come back and readdress some of the things that we might have said earlier. Uh, we might have uh, we might have done it a certain way and be like, okay, that was wrong. And this is the reason why. And this is the scripture we get it from. This is this is why we believe that that previous action was wrong. And here's how we're going to go about it. And, you know, I think that's a that's a good action of humility is to be like, okay, we were wrong. We were wrong at this point and we want to make it right because scripture has revealed it to be a certain way. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that um, one important thing to distinguish as far as this narrative and the way we see it in the church, I want to make the distinction between the church being pragmatic and the church being dogmatic. Yeah. So if you've, if you spend any time in the church, um, or even if you haven't, if you, if you've never heard the word dogma before or dogmaticism, it's essentially the traditions of the church. It's the, um, kind of the, the things that we've stuck to, I guess you could call them rules, but more just like, they're just the traditions of church history. For example, liturgies, um, certain theological, um, stances and beliefs and statements they're underneath doctrine doctrine is like okay god is triune god is a trinity or jesus is god or jesus is fully god and fully man those are all doctrines those are things that are indisputed unquestionable dogma is things that the church has been doing traditionally that we hold to but we hold to them for good reason so being dogmatic and pragmatic are very different and so being dogmatic in the church is good because those are things that the church has done because they're helpful. They're edifying. They're useful for the church. We, we derive them from scripture. We derive them from church history and we, we ascribe to them. We agree with them. So the dogmas in the Protestant church are good. Pragmatic in the church. It means like that hard headedness that comes from rationalism that you were talking about. That's kind of more Pharisee, vibe where we're not open to new things that the Lord might have for us because we like what we like. We don't like change. We don't want to uh, grow and to expand in our walk with the Lord. We're kind of just being stubborn. Yeah. But it's not, it's not grounded in church history like dogma is. It's different. So I just wanted to make that clarification. And I think if you're if you're listening you're like man this is me uh, I think something that would be good is to to pray and ask for God to 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 soften your heart to change to to pray with open hands um, it's like okay we we want to we want to change and be conformed more like Christ and not like our own formation not our own ideas but but the ideas of Christ the ideas of God working in our church in in our in our in our work, in our life, in, in everything. Uh, and so I think that's the, the way to approach that change. It's like, okay, we're going to allow God to, to, to change us because we know we are supposed to be changed by God to look more like Christ. Yeah. What Um, would be some like specific examples in the church just so we can kind of like help people 
identify so what would it look like to be pragmatic even just as a layman in the church or or with the church as a whole what do you think what would be some like physical examples i think some examples would be like how we order service or how we how we look at um certain doctrines of truth and then uh it's like, okay, we started this tradition in our church and it's been going on for 15 years. And it's like, okay, well, maybe that truth isn't, or that tradition isn't truthful and it's not, you know, honoring to God. And so we need to actually stop doing that tradition and, you know, conform to Christ again. Right. And then we can also see it in our own relationship with the Lord. Like when the Holy Spirit's prompting us to something, we're like, no, no, not going to do that. Nope. Like we've already made up our mind. For example, one that comes to mind is, okay, when we're at church and we're in the middle of worship through song. So we're singing and we just, we feel a prompting from the Lord to maybe get on our knees or to clap, or to raise our hands, even just little simple things like that. They're like, okay, it doesn't make a big difference whether I raise my hands or not. But if the Holy Spirit is filling you and, and prompting you, or the Holy Spirit wants you to talk to someone, but you're like, no, that's unfamiliar, and you're just being stubborn and level-headed, or I mean, in uh, um, yeah, level-headed, but just like rejecting and, and quenching the Holy Spirit, that's another way in the church context, or even just in your own yeah walk with the lord quenching that holy spirit is very pragmatic because it's like this is unfamiliar this is uncertain this is uncomfortable so i'm just going to ignore i'm going to put it off because i i just i don't feel like it and it's yeah. it's selfish it's self-centered you are god at that point because you're trusting more in what you desire and what you know and what you're familiar with and maybe life that the lord wants you to experience through the power of the holy spirit that you're holding yourself from if you were to just surrender open up bow before fall on your face in the auditorium in a worship set or when you're walking out in the street and and the holy spirit prompts you to to say something to to a stranger or to to do something random push aside the pragmatism and and embrace that surrender to the holy spirit lord what would you have of me that's what you're asking when you're combating pragmatism yeah and i think it also could be applied to like when we're learning about god it's like okay i i've had this idea this formation and this this belief system about about god for a really long time but then through his holy spirit he's revealed and changed something and it's like okay i actually that shakes that idea that i formerly had and now i have to i have to work through this and conform to to what christ says is true that's a really good one too yeah. yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's happened in my own walk. Yeah, uh, me too, Mul- multiple times. <laughs> I'm uh, sure it has for any of us that have followed Christ. We like learn new things, and we have to wrestle through. Like, man, like, man, this is actually true about God, but like, this kind of like, it's it's rattling. It's like, wait, that my whole entire kind of epistemology or like way that I had of thinking about God. Maybe it's not always wrong, like every everything about's wrong, but like I've had some huge crisis uh, in my in my time studying the word and studying the Lord, like that have just been completely transforming. And I've had to like surrender that and be like, dang, like I had it wrong. And it's scary, but it's such a good thing. So 
Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to the next one. So the next one is individualism. And so this one you'll see a lot today. Um, it's the, the idea that the self-desire is the truth. Uh, so this plays out is, is like, I want what I want and that's it. It's my way or the highway kind of kind of understanding. So you want to you want to go into that? Yeah, this is the main enemy of gospel centered community. Yeah. So another big thing that kind of has been uh, on my heart in this season. So the two big things have been the attractional model in the church and reversing that. And then the second one has been gospel centered community and the deconstruction of that. Individualism is the primary um, enemy of gospel centered community, the primary enemy of the church. Why? Because the church is designed to be unified, to be interconnected, every person reliant on the next for unity as the bride of Christ. And so individualism being this kind of self-reliant way of living, you're like, no, nah, I mean, I'm good. I'm good. So when your friend asks how you're doing, you're like, oh, great. When you know you're not great, they know you're not great. Guess what? Now you've pushed it aside. You've created a wall. Even when your friend knows that you're actually not doing okay, now you can't talk about it because you're good. You got it together. So it's this, I'm enough. I'm sufficient. I can do it in my own strength. This, as as Matt Chandler would say, white knuckling it, pulling yourself up from your bootstraps and just trying to muscle through. It's... I am sufficient for me. And it's it feeds into your social outlook to where the way that you interact with other people is 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 disconnected. It's it 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 emphasizes your intrinsic worth as an individual and not your worth in your community. Your worth as a as a participant of your circles. So, I mean, this is the narrative that Paul gives us in all of his epistles, all of his letters to the church and, and ultimately Christ. The second thing that Christ says, so you mentioned earlier, the first thing that Christ says, love God. Guess what the second thing is in the great commandment, love, love your others. neighbor as yourself. So individualism is the direct opposition of loving others as yourself. You're loving me as myself. I mean, I'm loving me as myself if I'm an individual. Yeah. And everything that Christ models in his life from when he's born and incarnate to his resurrection and ascension, his model on life is love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He was always serving, always thinking of others. And that is how gospel centered community is built. Think about any relationship that you have with a friend romantically or platonically. The way that relationships work are I meet your needs, you meet my needs, and we're unified. If I'm focused on meeting my needs and you're focused on meeting your needs, guess what? That relationship isn't going to last very long. Yeah, it's true. So if you're individualistic in your engagement with others, then forget about social social life. Forget about gospel-centered community. Forget about the church, honestly, because the church is co uh, co codependent. It is interconnected. It's not individualist. If we have a bunch of individualists coming to church together, why are we wasting our time? And that is what I think is the foundation of the consumer model. 
consumerism has skyrocketed because individualism was at at the fore it was it was it was the root at the foundation everyone said you know what's most important what i want yeah what i need my wealth my success so then consumerism says oh yeah yeah we'll feed that so we've all bought into it yeah but we need to get back to gospel-centered community get back to my concern when i wake up every morning is how can i serve who can i serve when can i serve yeah i think this this plays out in a few ways right uh, so we we see individualism so uh it plays out in you know what we were just talking about it's pride it's it's i it's saying i am more important than everyone else it's saying i am more important than god and so individualism is actually it's completely denying that Christ is Lord. It's completely denying what he has done. And it's, it's saying that I, I am good enough. I, I, whatever I want, whatever I need is the truth. Whatever I I desire is the truth. And so we see this play out a few, a few different ways in, in, in culture. It's like, okay, whatever I want you to think of me is whatever you have to think of me. And rather than it's like, okay, no, 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 it's, it's whatever you are, that that's what I think of you. And uh, that's one example. But so the church, the church sees this a lot. Uh, it's like, we're gonna, we're gonna have all these Bible studies for you. We're gonna have all these, uh, we're gonna have these worship nights for you. We're gonna have this preacher for you, rather than it's like, no, no, no. These Bible studies, these worship nights, these these uh, these preachers are actually all for God, uh, and that's that's where we get this narrative. It's like, okay, it could be about me, but it's not. It's about Christ. It's about what He's done, and you know, Christ says, anyone who wants to follow after Me must deny himself. So, individualism is actually the opposite of what Christ calls all Christians to do. To, to deny themselves and to follow after him. Right. And, and in our walk with the Lord, the way that individual individualism plays out is to that end of being self-reliant, dependent on yourself, not dependent on anything else. And in that effort of trying to get through the trials of life and stuff on your own effort, when you know that you can't, I mean, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We can't save ourselves. So why are we going to try to like get through today by ourselves? Everything that Christ models for us and gives us is, hey, abide in me. I am the rock. I am the vine. I am the the bread of life, the living water. And so obviously John, you know, Jesus is telling us about he's the vine. We find life in him. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Do not be individualistic in your mind thinking I can do it on my own. Jeremiah 17, 5, thus says the Lord curses the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good to come. Um, And then in James chapter 1, um, Blessed is the man, so this chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be 
tempted as we can by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. So what James is saying there is, hey, your individualistic lifestyle is going to lead to sin, and it's going to lead to death. Because we are lured and enticed by our own desire. So in our relationship with the Lord, if we surrender, I mean, David and, and the psalmist harp on this, huh? no pun intended. They harp on this so much, just trusting in the Lord forever. The Lord is, is my strength. I shall not want. The Lord will fight for me. The Lord will, will destroy my enemies. So even in our own walk with the Lord, we have to battle individualism. We have to surrender to the Lord, abide in him, trust him every morning for his new mercies every single day, that new bread every single morning, yeah. like the Israelites did with the manna. So if you're someone who, who struggles with individualism, with this, this narrative that whatever I desire is true, I would just, uh, I would, I would ask people that you really trust um, to, 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 to speak into your life, to, to hold you accountable, to, to get start to start serving somewhere, be involved, give your money away, you know, find ways to, to serve Christ and to serve others. Uh, because I think that's the, the best way to combat individualism is like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to start, I'm not going to think about me and what I could receive, but I'm going to think about others and what I can give to them and what I have to offer. Mm-hmm. So, um, just want to say this is part one of the stories that we live in and so the identities that we're in. So if you if you want to keep listening to part two, it'll be on the next episode, episode four. So um, Landry, you want to close this off? Yeah, let me pray for you guys before we head out. Abba, Father, we are reminded as we have this conversation together uh, about your nature about your narrative lord you are the ultimate storyteller you're the ultimate creator and we as humans are creative we are storytellers because that's how you've created us you've created us in your image with your nature that nature of of loving stories of telling stories even jesus in his time here on earth taught us through stories And so we're created to buy into stories. We're created to live out story and narrative. And the reality is that your story is the only story that we'll actually find life and belonging and purpose in. And so as we leave today, would we not buy into the stories that the world is telling us, but would we buy into your story? Would we be a part of your story? because that's the story where life is found. So it's in your name we pray all these things. We celebrate the work and life of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, Amen. Grace and peace.